just a few minutes, we'll be looking at the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we're going to focus in on verses 8 through 15 of Romans chapter 1. And that's Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15, if you'd like to go ahead and find your way there. I don't know what kind of pastor I am. I couldn't find my Bible at the house and looked everywhere for it. It's usually right by my chair where I sit and I get a chance to pick it up and look at it and read it and that sort of thing. And, and it wasn't there, so I got a, I got a pew Bible. It's, a, it's not these pew Bibles because we don't have these pew Bibles. It's a, it's a pew Bible that was sent to me just in case we ever wanted to switch to these pew Bibles. So I have, I have a pew Bible. Anyway. I don't know why I told you that story, but there it is. Um, you know, as I was reading this passage of Scripture and, and I was breaking the, the passage of Scripture down, I realized just how much Paul had a heart for people and how uh, Paul genuinely loved the body of Christ. But I also wondered if, uh, like when we're reading Romans and some of these things that Paul says, if people are ever surprised because... Paul says some very harsh things to other Christians. Uh, Paul was not afraid to call out sin. In fact, he did it often. And not only was Paul not afraid to call out sin, but, but he used names. He used people's names when he was calling out sin. And he used what could be considered some very strong and colorful language. In fact, we'll see that even in this book, the book of Romans, Paul says some hard things. Yet here we are in these verses that we're going to look at in just a moment. We see Paul oozing love on the believers in Rome. And it causes me to stop and think of the times uh, that the body of Christ has, has cared for not only myself, but my family as, as well. You know, I can... I can still remember uh, being that young college graduate, not really knowing anything about ministry, but thinking I knew everything about ministry. And uh, I didn't really know how to take care of bills and that sort of thing. And, and I accepted a student pastor position in Pennsylvania. And I had no clue what I was doing. And so when I accepted the position and I looked over, they said, well, this is what you're going to be paid. And, and that seemed like a pretty good amount of money to me. And I was like, yeah, that's great. Until we moved there and I realized how expensive it was to live there. And I couldn't pay our bills in the first years. And I wish I could tell you how many times someone in the church would just come up to me and hand me money. Or we would get a check in the mail that would help us pay a bill. I lost track of all the times that that happened, that the body of Christ saw to it that, that we were loved and cared for. Or even when I left that position, I had nowhere to go. Did not know how we were going to survive. Let me tell you, there's nothing that makes you feel like a failure more than packing your family up and moving back in with your mother. But even then, I remember getting a call to see if I'd preach at a youth revival at a small church in the middle of nowhere. 
And I said, sure, I'll do that. And I wouldn't do anything else. And I met with the pastor, and as we're sitting there in my vehicle, he said, we're going to pay you $1,000 to preach this youth revival. And I can just remember tearing up and thinking, how in the world, this is just an itty-bitty church much smaller than our church. How are they going to pay me $1,000? Or how about when I got a call from the church treasurer of that church where I was attending, and he handed me a check for over $1,000 and said, someone just wanted you to have this. They want to be anonymous. Or how about when I was the interim student pastor in one church and the interim pastor in another church over an hour away, and in that small church that I was an interim pastor at, week after week, people would just come up and they'd shake my hand sometimes and, and they'd just put money in my hand. And, and I would try to give it back and they would never let me give it back. And For Christmas, this little itty-bitty church threw a party and said, Pastor, we just want to bless you. So we asked people to give. And this little itty bitty church handed me several hundred dollars. Or how about when I interviewed at a church to be their student pastor, and before the church even voted on me, one of the deacons came up to me and he said, I can't let you drive home on those tires on your vehicle. And he went and put new tires on my vehicle out of his own pocket. Later, after becoming the student pastor, I had, I had some debt from a previous year of working on my master's degree, and I walked into my office, and there was an envelope taped on my office door with seven $100 bills in it, and a note that said, use this for what you needed. When my car broke down and someone from the church just called and paid for my tow bill, or someone butchered a cow and they gave us meat, I can tell you story after story after story of being the recipient from people who had a heart for people. People that, for whatever reason, wanted me to feel special and loved, even though I didn't feel like I deserved it. And so as I prepared for this sermon, I was flooded with emotion as I thought of these times and how it went and how, and how people cared for me, even when I didn't feel worthy to be cared for. And I thought... How is it that we can have a heart like Paul? How can we have a heart for people? Paul has never met most of the people that he's writing to in the book of Romans. He did not know that he was some, or he did know that he was sometimes portrayed as this, this crazy radical who had dangerous teachings because of his enemies. However, he longed to visit these fellow believers in Rome and together with them the things of God uh, that they'd be able to look at. And so he had this task of explaining uh, to Christians whom he does not know, who have heard these negative things about him, who he is and why he wants to visit them and why it is he wants to preach the gospel in Rome. And look at what Paul does. He shares with them how he has heard of their faith, and he shares how often he prays for them. What Paul is doing is sharing his heart about wanting to come and spend time with the believers in Rome and strengthen their faith and encourage them and be encouraged himself by them. He tells them that he has often desired to come and see them, but he has been providentially prevented. And now he hopes to come and preach to them. And so Paul is going to use his gifts to serve the people in Rome 
that he still does not know, and he wants to benefit from them using their gifts to serve him. And as they labor together to see the gospel go forth in Rome, and I truly believe that the overall lesson that we find here is that God wants all of his children to have a heart for people. And I believe this passage just oozes that theme. And so if you are willing and able, I'd ask that you please stand out of respect for God's word as we read Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. We read this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been forbidden, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let's pray. Father, take this word this morning and penetrate our hearts and our lives this morning as we look at what it really means to have a heart for people. May we examine our own hearts this morning and ask ourselves, do I have a heart for others? How is that evident in my life? And Lord, if there's conviction in our heart, I pray that we respond. If we need to hear mercy and grace, I pray that we would hear that. May your word go forth and penetrate our hearts. For your saints are listening. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I believe there are five lessons that we can find in this passage of Scripture when it comes to having a heart for people. First, we need to pray for fellow believers. Second, we need to equip others by utilizing spiritual gifts. Third, we need to encourage one another in ministry. Fourth, we need to evangelize and edify others. And fifth, we need to realize we are indebted to all people to proclaim the gospel. First, notice we have a heart for people when we pray for fellow believers. Paul very plainly states that he thanks God because of these Roman Christians' testimony. There is so much packed into these these verses about prayer and even some theology and definitely the love that Christians should have for each other. Actually, it's just in one verse here. He starts by being thankful. Let me just say that to be a believer is to be thankful because all believers are recipients of the grace of God. So when we understand that we have received grace and mercy from our Heavenly Father, it naturally should make us thankful. This is how, as Christians, we can face all kinds of problems in this life and still be thankful because we know that no matter what, we never get what we deserve. You understand that? No matter what, you never get what you deserve. The Lord always gives us better than we deserve. 
Always. This does not mean that we will never go through hard times. It doesn't mean that we're never going to have struggles or, or go through times of depression. It means that we can always be thankful. We can always be grateful and thankful because we've received grace. We're recipients of God's grace. And Paul has gone through all kinds of problems, right, in his life. If we've studied the life of Paul, we know he's gone through all kinds of issues. And yet he starts off with thanksgiving, by being thankful. Kind of makes me wonder how much thankfulness is missing from our own prayers. Why do I fail to see what God is doing in me and through me? How often do we just fail to thank God for even the troubles that come into our life? And therefore, we don't even thank him in any kind of prayer. Lack of thankfulness indicates a lack of grace. Because when we've been forgiven so much, we not only forgive much, but we are a thankful people. Christians are to be a thankful people. Now, notice that he is thanking God. And what is he thanking God for? He's thanking God for the faith of the Romans. This is where I want to give you a little bit of theology. Because most people readily accept that salvation is a gift from God. And so is grace. However, some people are very certain that faith is not a gift from God. Instead, they would say that faith is something we do that then prompts the gifts of grace and salvation to come into our life. However, who does Paul thank for the faith of the Romans? Does he, does he thank the Romans? Or does he thank God? He does not say, I thank you, Roman Christians, for your faith. Why? Because God is the root cause of faith. God is a source of faith. Faith is a gift from God, and salvation is by God's sovereign grace. Paul thanks God for their faith, proving that faith is a gift. The only way that we can respond to the gospel message is when the Holy Spirit comes in and does a work in us, giving us the gift of faith and repentance. Now, quickly here, I want us to see Paul's love. He's praying for these Roman Christians because he loves them. Yet, just a few years prior to this, Paul's trying to wipe out Christianity off the face of the earth, right? Paul hated Christians. This is the same man. He's been made a new man. He's thanking God now for Christians. This man went from hating Christians to, to writing at the beginning of this letter, I'm thankful for you. I'm praying for you. This is the mark of every true believer, that God has changed your heart. That you now have a sweet and special love for fellow believers. He's never met them. And he still has a love for them. Do you have a special love for fellow believers? If so, how does it manifest in your life? Does your love show for your fellow believers no matter your differences? No matter your background? No matter your cultural barriers? No matter your age difference? Do you think of all that we have in our church and other believers, and do you love them? Think of all the differences that we have that separate us and make us different. I'm asking you, do you have a real abiding love? 
I don't mean, do you tolerate one another? Some of us are good at tolerating one another, right? Do you have a genuine love that you want to share life with one another? The good times and the bad times. Do you actually care about one another because we are Christians? Listen, the writer of Proverbs tells us there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, which should be true Christians. That should be sticking closer than a brother. Is that you? Do you love one another like that? Two more things I must get to. First, Paul is giving his thanksgiving to God through Jesus. It is through the completed work of Jesus Christ that we have access to the Heavenly Father. Christ is the mediator between God and the Father and us. Paul is praying this prayer in dependence upon the one who had made it possible, who sits at the right hand of the Father, who so that the Father hears this prayer through the lips of his Son. Now this should blow your mind, right? It, I know that seems like a mouthful, but this is what should blow your mind as a Christian. When you lift up your voice to God the Father in prayer through the Son who reigns at the Father's right hand and he lives to intercede for us, it is as if Christ is speaking to God your prayer. Do you get that? He intercedes for us. Speaking for us. The prayer is coming from God's own Son. That's what it means to go through Jesus Christ. It's coming through God's Son. Lastly, Paul is thankful their faith is proclaimed in all the world, which is to say throughout the whole world. What are you thankful for? Because it says a lot about who you are. It shows what's really important to your life. Paul is excited and thankful that people believe the gospel and their testimony is being heard not only in Rome, but to all the world. Can you imagine that? Have you, have you heard about those Christians in Rome? Man, they are, they are on fire for Jesus. They're on fire for the Lord. They're, they're right there underneath the Roman emperor's nose, and they're living out the Christian life. Can you believe it? They believe with everything they have. Their hearts are dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. I, can't ju I just can't believe their faithfulness. What are they saying about American Christians? What do they say about us? You ever wonder that? One Christian lady in Iran who lived in the U.S. for a time said, the Christians in America are being lulled to sleep under a satanic lullaby. That's what she said. Unfortunately, that's what many foreign countries think about American Christians. Oh, church, there should be an ever-present reality of the work of the Spirit in our lives that shines through so that others see it and are thankful for our faith. Paul has never even met these Roman Christians, and he is thankful for their faith. He has only heard about them, and he's excited. Oh, this should serve as a rebuke to us. Are you excited about the growth 
of faith in your brothers and sisters in this church? Did you know that there are people who are hungry to grow right here in our church? That should excite you. Are you excited that some desire to follow scriptures in all that we do? That should be exciting. What causes you to have joy and be, be thankful? Because that is what it is that you care about a lot. Is it when the stock market goes up? Do you, do you, does your heart jump for joy? Oh, great, I'm going to make a ton of money. Or is it when you get a shiny new toy? I like shiny new toys. I like them. Is that what causes excitement and joy in your life? What causes joy? Listen, when we pray, it should be filled with thanksgiving and rejoicing at the truth of the word of God and what that word is accomplishing in the hearts of God's people. Oh, that we would have joy to see that. Now notice to have a heart for people in prayer, we should constantly intercede for them. We should constantly intercede for them. Paul says, without ceasing, I mention you. Now, it's interesting. Paul says that God is my witness, right? He says, uh, God is my witness. He is saying that God knows exactly what's going on in Paul's heart and life. Let me just say that Paul is swearing an oath, and we shouldn't really take that lightly. I think we have to be careful when we say things like, I swear to God. Though I think it's okay to take an oath, because Paul does it right here. But we shouldn't do it lightly. We should never take an oath to cover up a half-truth or, or a lie. When someone says, I swear, what do we immediately do, right? We immediately think they're lying to us. At least I do, but maybe I'm bad. That's why when somebody says, I swear, I'm telling you the truth, right? I immediately think, oh, well, they're probably not telling me the truth then. But Paul's saying, God is my witness. I intercede for you without ceasing. Paul does this because he's never been to Rome. They have no idea who Paul is. They have no way of knowing whether Paul mentions him in prayer. And so Paul is saying, I want you to know that God knows when I pray for you. And he knows my heart. And I'm praying for you constantly. And God sees it. And God's my witness. Let me ask you something. When it comes to interceding for your brothers and sisters in Christ, do you love the body of Christ you see, we're all part of the body of Christ, united to Jesus Christ. Therefore, the people that we go to church with who are believers are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you love them? Do you love them with a special kind of love? Do you find ways that you can care for them? Are you, are you really family with them? Or do we just like to call one another brother and sister? i found often that what happens is instead of living together as a body of Christ and doing life together, we often are isolated from one another. Or should I say that we are isolated from those that do not fit our standard? We often allow our differences to be more significant than our commonality as fellow believers in the spirit. We allow our different skin color to be more significant, or we allow our different social circles to be more significant, or we allow our different economic status to be more significant. We allow all kinds of things to be more significant than the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that's supposed to bring us together in love as the body of Christ. Every single one of us needs to pause right now and ask ourselves, are the things of God that unite us more significant in our lives than the temporal feeling and the fleeting things that are going to be gone. They're constantly in front of us 
But one day it will all pass away because the Lord is going to destroy it all. Why unite around that? Oh, that we would have this love for one another. Paul's constantly interceding because he loves them. What attitude do we have? Lastly, under this heading of prayer is this. Pray God's will be done. Look at verse 10. Paul says that somehow by God's will. When we pray for others, we should pray for God's will. If you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, you know that that is part of it. Thy will be done, which is how Paul is praying. Paul is saying, I want to come and be with you, but that is an all all of it's in submission to the will of God. Now remember, Paul's never met him. He has no idea how he's going to be able to meet them. Do you know how Paul eventually got to Rome? As a prisoner. In chains. He was preparing that if he lost his trial, he would be executed. That's how Paul got to Rome. And yet Paul was delighted. To be there because God had given him a heart for the Roman Christians. I wonder if we're willing to submit to the providence of God like Paul did. Paul does not question whether or not God is in control. He knows God is in control. The only way Paul goes to Rome is if it is if it's the will of God. He knows that. Notice that Paul submitting to God's will does not equate to passivity. He does not say, well, I'm going to do nothing in fact, Paul on numerous occasions tries to go to Rome. The Lord blocked those plans. Here's the thing. We can learn from Paul. Just because the door was closed did not mean that Paul stopped trying. He kept on trying to make sure the door was really closed. Paul continually prayed that God would let him go to Rome. And eventually, he goes to Rome as a prisoner. And this shows us that we should submit to the providence of God, which sometimes is a very difficult thing to do, isn't it? We find ourselves in a difficult situation. Maybe it's something with your family or with your health. Perhaps it's something at work or some sort of difficulty that you've been going through. And when we go through difficult circumstances, it's hard to trust in the providence of God. I wonder what Paul thought when he had wanted to go to Rome for so long. His heart longed to go to Rome. And he finally gets there and he's a prisoner. Sometimes we spend so much time figuring out what God is doing that we look right past the goodness in his providence. So how about we pray for our fellow believers and constantly intercede on their behalf that the Lord's will be done in their life. Secondly, I got to hurry. Equip others by utilizing spiritual gifts. Equip others by utilizing spiritual gifts. Paul says in verse 11, he longs to see them that, they, that he may impart some spiritual gift. What does that mean? Some spiritual gift. Paul's coming to serve the Romans. He wants to give them something. It's vital because when Paul sees the church, he does not see something for his own personal gratification. Imagine if instead of seeing problems in the local church, we saw opportunities. Often we look at church and we ask, uh, this question, right? What can the church do for me? And we think the church should provide all of this stuff for us. The church is supposed to do this for me. And Paul looks at the church as an opportunity to serve. 
What would happen if we looked at church as a place where we gave instead of we got? The whole purpose for Paul imparting some spiritual gift for their faith and to be strengthened is that they should be, uh, should be our purpose as well. That we should see other people's faith strengthened by our gifts. Check this out. This is what Paul says. He may impart to them some spiritual gift. No person can strengthen your faith. The Holy Spirit does. No person can convert you to Christianity. The Holy Spirit does. It's a display of the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. It shows that they are not at odds with one another, but that they work together. Paul knows he does not convert anyone. He can't strengthen anyone's faith. But it takes the gifts of the Spirit to do that. And yet, still he says he's eager to come and be with them. That perhaps seems strange. The Spirit is the one who strengthens us. But Paul says, I want to come so that your faith will be strengthened. Let me be clear. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to cause people to respond to the gospel. And it's his job to cause people to grow in their faith. But it is our privilege. It is our privilege to share the gospel with other people. It is our privilege to be encouraging to one another in the faith. The Spirit will use our faithfulness to draw people to himself. One last thing. The purpose of our spiritual gift is to strengthen faith. It's not to draw attention to ourselves. So often we want this spiritual gift, like, I want to use my spiritual gift so everybody notices me. So they notice how, how cool I am or how great I am. The gifts of the Spirit are to produce the fruit of the Spirit in people's lives. That's the end game. It's not to draw attention to yourself. So people talk about how great you are, how awesome you are, how wonderful you are. It's so that those who are in Christ will be strengthened in their faith. Do you have that same kind of attitude towards the church that Paul had? Do you look at the church with a desire to minister in the church? To edify, to see brothers and sisters faith strengthened? Do you have the desire to minister to one another? When we read Paul describing why he wants to go to Rome, it should spark in us something that, that says, hey, I, I should have that same attitude. I should want to come into church and see other people's faith strengthened and see how I can help other people. We must have the mind of Christ. Thirdly, we encourage one another in ministry. We encourage one another in ministry. Paul says that we may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. Paul is saying that when he goes to Rome with this desire to encourage them and strengthen their faith, the reality is his faith will also be strengthened. He will be encouraged. He's not just spouting off at the mouth to make them feel good. Mutual encouragement always flows from selfless service in the body of Christ. Mutual encouragement always flows from selfless service in the body of Christ. And that's really the irony of being a Christian, right? You come and die to self in order to find true life. You give your life away in order to find it. When you actually serve others, you end up receiving more than you give. So when I hear people say, the church just isn't ministering to me like it should, like I think it should. The answer is not for the church to do more for you. That's not the answer. The answer is to determine what you're doing to give yourself away. That's the answer. What are you doing to minister? What are you doing to serve? 
What are you doing to have a mindset that you are giving yourself away in the local body of Christ? When that's your attitude, we find what we receive is more than we give away. Sometimes people will get frustrated with the church or, or even the preaching. I know that's hard to believe, right? And they'll say, say uh, my all-time favorite line, well, I'm not being fed. That's, that's usually code word for, uh, I really can't identify the problem, but this sounds good. You know what the solution is? Find somewhere in the church to give yourself away. And you will be fed. Not by me, not by the church, but by the Lord. Give yourself away. Listen, this has an impact in every area of your life. It has an impact in your marriage. If we give ourselves away in selfless service, our marriages will be better. It has an impact in your friendship. Give yourself away in selfless service. You'll be a better friend. It has an impact at your work. Give yourself away in selfless service. You'll be a better employee. Has an impact in your church. Give yourself away in selfless service. You'll be a better church member. You might say, Pastor, how do you know this? Because God always gives back more than you're ever going to give away. That's how I know it. Giving is not one. Uh, it's not a one-way transaction either, right? That's why Paul says, "I'm coming to give, but I know there will be mutual encouragement as you give to me." I can't get anywhere else. Have you ever experienced this? You're going through something in your life. Someone begins to share a story. And it's as if, it, if it's your story. They're going through the exact same thing that you're going through or they went through it already. God sends the right person at the right time sometimes to help you in the situation. And you know the Lord sent that person to encourage you. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it happens to me all the time. Listen, when you decide that you're going to be a blessing to someone else, there's this mutual encouragement. And that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. Stop and think about it. This is the Apostle Paul of all people. And he says, when I come, the Apostle Paul, when I come, I'm going to be blessed by you. And my faith is going to be strengthened. May that be true of us. May we encourage one another in ministry. Fourthly, evangelize and edify others. Evangelize and edify others. In verse 13, Paul makes it clear that he has been providentially hindered from coming. It's not because he's not tried, because he has tried multiple times. Paul is saying every time that he wants to go, something stops him. However, we look at verse 13, he reveals what he wants to accomplish when he comes to Rome. He wants to see fruit, he says. Paul, when he comes to Rome, wants to see people come to know Jesus, and he wants to see other Christians' faith strengthened. In other words, he wants to evangelize and edify. Discipleship involves both. You can't be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and not be his disciple. And you can't be saved and not be a disciple. So Paul is saying, when I come, I expect to reap a har harvest. I expect to pick some fruit. Paul also shows us that the church in Rome is predominantly Gentile. He says, uh, he gives us this line as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Disciples are made through evangelizing and strengthening their faith, just like Paul is planning to do. I want to ask you something this morning. How do you prepare for church? How do you prepare to come to church? As you get ready and you prepare, 
to come to church and you're going to have fellowship with other Christians who are part of the local church, how is it that you get yourself ready? And I don't mean like, okay, I stand in front of the mirror and do my hair. And I don't do that, obviously, but I do my beard. Take care of my beard. But does it ever enter your mind that you would like to see fruit in fellow believers' lives as you come to church? I mean, what's your attitude? Is it, oh, I sure hope I like the music today. I hope I get something out of that sermon. I hope I get to see so-and-so. Or do you prepare to come to be a blessing and encouragement to fellow believers to see fruit in their life? Does that even enter your thought process? You see, if we have the heart of Christ, then that is what is our heart as well. We desire to encourage and to strengthen one another's faith. And we're determined to bless one another, not tear one another down. Paul says, I want to see fruit. And that's what we should be thinking of one another. I want to see fruit. We should ask, how can I encourage you, brother or sister, in Christ? How can I encourage you to produce more fruit in your life? The last thing I want to share with you this morning is this. When it comes to having a heart for people, we must realize we're indebted to all people to proclaim the gospel. Check out verse 14. I'm under obligation, both the Greek and barbarians, both the wise and the foolish. He doesn't give any qualifications to that statement whatsoever. It's his blanket statement. He's under obligation to the Greeks and the barbarians. Now, just so we understand this, what Paul is saying is that uh, he's under obligation to everyone. That's what he means. The little Greek rendering is he's indebted to everyone. Indebted to everyone. Paul writing to a predominantly Gentile audience says he's under obligation to the Greek, which is to say the culture, and the non-Greek, the barbarians, which is the ones who can't speak Greek. That is actually where the word barbarian originated. Paul is saying, I'm under obligation to all people, everyone. Now you might be thinking, why is Paul under obligation to everyone? Why does he feel that way? Paul is obligated to everyone because Paul is obligated to God. God did something for Paul, right? And God did something in Paul. And then God commanded Paul to do something. Therefore, Paul has an obligation to everyone. Listen, this is what Paul is saying. God did something for me. He sent his son to die in my place. God redeemed me from my sin. God did something in me when he united me to his son so that now my heart is his son's heart. I want to think the way he thinks. I want to live the way the son lives. I want to do the things the way the son did things. I want to, I want to be just like the son. The son did the will of the father. What is the will of the Father? That all nations will come and worship His Son. I want to see the nations worshiping Christ. And Jesus told me to go to the nations, and so I'm going to the nations. In fact, He came and met me on that road to Damascus, and He said, Paul, don't murder Christians anymore. You make Christians. And so Paul says, I'm under obligation to everyone. This doesn't discourage him. It doesn't burden him down. It's exciting for Paul that God gave Paul an obligation to share the gospel. Paul went from murdering Christians to making Christians. Paul had done all he could to destroy the church. And God said, Paul, I have a new obligation for you. 
You used to hate Christians, now you're going to love them. You tried to destroy the church, now you're going to expand the church. You were an enemy of Christ, now you're going to be an apostle of Christ. You know what Paul's response was? He was overwhelmed. That God would choose a sinner like him and give him such a great obligation. Paul is obligated to take the gospel to everyone. He's thankful for it. Now you probably know what's coming, right? You're probably going to be like, oh great, pastor's going to tell us that we're obligated to take the gospel to everybody. Why is it that when we hear words like obligation or duty, we cringe? Why do we shy away from it? So many people think that when you become a Christian, you don't do anything. Or sometimes we'll say, we just want to do certain things. That's not what Paul says. Paul says he's under obligation. Let me ask you this. Do you have to love your spouse? Hopefully you want to, but I would say, yeah, you have to. Do parents have to love their children? I hope they want to, but yeah, they have to. Just because we become a Christian does not mean our obligations change. God's commands are still God's commands. But our heart changes, right? And now, what may have seemed like a burden should no longer be a burden. That's the point of verse 15 where Paul says he's eager. Paul is obligated, but he's eager. Obligated and desire do not have to contradict one another. Paul is willing, in fact. He's eager, but it's commanded. Paul has to, but Paul wants to. Have to and want to are not contradictory terms. Now, some of us have gone through something that we never choose to go through ourselves. We've been through a situation we'd never choose in a million years. Yet God has been gracious and he allows you to go through it. Allows us to go through things. God's used these difficulties in the life of another believer. Because you now have a story that you can share with someone else. And when you use the things in your life to minister to other believers, do you have to do it? I'd say yes. But here's my question. Do you want to do it? I do. Listen, we can think of all kinds of problems. No one wants to lose a loved one. Yeah, people do. And it may be that God in his grace carries you through that struggle and he enables you to be a blessing to another Christian. Do you have to minister to them? Paul says yes. But here's my question. Do you want to? I sure hope so. You see, I want you to understand that being a Christian does not mean that there are no obligations. It just means that those obligations are no longer a burden because your heart has been transformed. Paul says, I'm under obligation. I'm indebted to everyone and I love it and I'm eager to do it. Is that the way you are? Is that how you approach your obligation to all people? You have to. You're a believer. You have to. But do you want to? Listen, church, 
You have the cure for everyone's deadly disease. You're indebted to give them the cure. You have it. You're indebted to give them the cure. You have to. But do you want to? Now, real quick in verse 15, Paul is eager to preach the gospel. That's not just a reference to evangelism, but the application of the gospel to believers. Are you eager to serve one another? Are you eager to encourage one another? Are you eager to build one another up? Are you eager to share the gospel? Are you eager to see people come to know Christ? My friends, this is what it means to have a heart for people. This is what it means to, to have the commands of God not be a burden because we have a love for God. In fact, our obligation should feel, get this, like a privilege. Because he's changed your heart in that way. I conclude with this. Very simply, having a heart for people then means that you pray for your fellow believers. You constantly intercede for them. That God's will be done. It means that you equip others by utilizing spiritual gifts, that you encourage one another in ministry, that you evangelize and edify, and finally, that you realize you're indebted to all people. I would ask you today, do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you trusted in Him? You can do that today. You can trust in Christ. You can place your hope in Him by praying something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe I am a sinner that you sent God's Son to die and forgive me of my sins. I would ask that you forgive me. I turn from my sin and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. I want to live for you the rest of my life. Amen. It's not magic. It's a prayer trusting in Christ. And if you pray that prayer and you truly trust in Christ, Christ saves you. If you said that prayer or something like it, I'd love to follow up with you. You can come forward. If you're online, you can text the word FAITH to 309-328-3488. Those of you that know Christ, I implore you, be devoted to one another. Have a heart for people, especially the people of God. Give yourself away in selfless service. And guess what? It will not be burdensome. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. I don't know how it may have touched someone today all I know is it did I know that because you promise it will and I don't know in what way there may be people here this morning that have sin that they need to confess there may be people that have spent their time tearing down instead of building up. Maybe they need to deal with that. 
Lord, I pray that if you've spoken to us in some way, shape, or form, that we would respond to that. We'd respond to your, to your word this morning as you make them things abundantly clear to us. God, I pray that we'd be a pre people that pray for our fellow believers. Thank you that we have the privilege to be able to pray for them. I pray that we would do that in this constant intercession, thinking of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we pray that your will be done in their life. So often we are so selfish in our prayers, thinking about ourselves instead of our brothers and sisters. And so often we, we pray with selfish motives instead of praying your will be done. And God, I pray that we'd be a people that equip others utilizing our gifts and that we'd encourage one another as we come into this place of worship and that we'd evangelize and edify others, Lord, that we would give ourselves away in selfless service. And Lord, I pray that if we examine our hearts this morning, we come to the realization, God, that we truly have not given ourselves away in selfless service. That God, you'd convict us. Convict us if we have ever sat there and thought, what is the church going to do for me? And then, Lord, I pray that we'd realize we are indebted to all people. And Lord, this is a a great obligation that you turn into a privilege. Oh, that we'd see it that way. It's not a problem. It's a privilege. Not because we have to, God. Oh, God, I pray that we'd want to because you've changed our hearts. And then, Lord, I pray for those that may not know Christ. May today be the day of salvation for them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, we will only come.